Digital Marketing Radio, episode 160. How to grow your business faster. DigitalMarketingRadio.com Digital Marketing Radio is part of the 3B Podcast Network. UK casters talking business growth. Find out more over at 3BPN.com. The Big Interview with David Bain. I'm David Bain and today I'm joined by a US Today best-selling author. He's a man who's founder of digital marketing and sales coaching company that helps businesses grow faster. Welcome to DMR, Chris Smith. Thank you. Thanks for having me, David. Excited to be here. Well, thanks for coming along, Chris. Um, well, you can find Chris over at curator.com, and that's curator spelled C-U-R-A-Y-T-O-R. So, Chris, uh, what are you finding out to be uh, some of the most effective sources of traffic at the moment? Sure. It's far, well, that's funny. You need traffic you know, if you want to get leads, and you need leads if you want to get sales, right? I thought we'd start at the beginning. Yeah, yeah might as well. Yeah, I, I, it's it's right there on the back of the new book that I wrote. I know the, the the listening, you know, the audio audience can't see that, but you know, when you think about all the options for marketers these days, it's overwhelming. Uh, even this week, you know, you, what are the new Pokemon Go strategies, right? Like, you know, there's always something you could do, and and I think that if you just take a step back and say, you know, no matter what you sell, no matter where you live. You know, you definitely need leads, appointments, and sales. You know, leads starts with traffic. And I would say that the two best places right now to generate traffic that I would call significant, you know, kind of a pop versus a trickle, would be, number one, your email marketing list. I mean, there's no better place to get an instant influx of quality traffic than by simply emailing the people that you've already captured in the past with a link to something new or to something relevant. So I would say number one is, you know, you have to use your email marketing list as one of your largest sources of recurring traffic. Those will be some of your most engaged visitors. They'll spend the most time. They'll look at the most pages. And then the second place, you know, talk about traffic uh, from people who you don't have captured or you, you maybe don't know, it's it's Facebook. I mean, Facebook is the internet. At one mm-hmm. out of every four page views is Facebook. Two billion people use it. Every person with a pulse in the United States, at least, wakes up and looks at the screen and they look at Facebook more than they look at people in the face. So can any business, any type of business, drive significant volumes of relevant traffic from Facebook? Yeah, you can. I mean, the, the way it works is that if you need, uh, now listen, if you're local, there's less people to draw from. You know, if you're a business in a, in a town where there's only 10,000 people, there's less people, but you're already used to that. But the answer is yes, any business, no matter what the type, can use Facebook advertising to drive the right audience to their stuff. Can everybody get tens of thousands of clicks and thousands of leads? No. But everybody can get traction and everybody can get customers. Absolutely. So what's the difference between an effective Facebook ad and one that doesn't work so well at the moment? Great question. I always just would say the devil is in the details. You know, we it's very easy to boost a post on Facebook. It's very easy to spend 20 or 40 or $100 on an ad. But the devil is always in the details, David. Comes down to things like the image that you choose for the ad the colors in the image, the design of the image. You know, sorry about that. We got a little, That's we just right. opened we our new office some, here. So to get you. 
Yeah, they probably can't even hear it. It's just me. But you know, we we you know, I have kind of a seven step checklist that I go through. The the first thing that's the most important is image. I say image is everything. If you want them to read your ad or click your ad, the first way to get that done is for them to see your ad. So beautiful, bright images. The copywriting is critical. The targeting is critical. Things like the the objective of the ad. You know, way too many small businesses are doing branding when they need leads. And should the image, I mean, you start with the image there, should the image be of a person or of a product or does it not matter as long as it's a good quality image? Well, that's a great question. The quality is king. The colors, the, the, the sort of what I would say, you know, does it cause somebody to drool on their screen a little bit, right? Uh, you know, you want the image to have stopping power. And there's been a lot of eye testing and eye tracking and things of that nature. But yeah, I'll give you a great best practice. Like when you log into Facebook, you're constantly seeing pictures of people in your feed, friends, family, relatives. So yeah, pictures of people in your ads also works well. The problem is when you're sort of used to seeing all these like regular people, and then it's always the same stock photo model that you use in all of your ads, it's a little too polished. So I would say, yeah, like in real estate, the companies we work with, if they choose a house versus a face, it's going to impact the click-through rate, right? But at the same time- but Positively. It could be positive, it could be negatively. But like at right. the end of the day, you sell houses, not people. So, you know, you may have a lower click-through rate on a house, but you might be closer to the intent of buying than if you're, you know, a beautiful real estate agent and you put your headshot, you get a bunch of likes because people think you're attractive, but they're not clicking on a house, filling out a form and going into your database. So, right. you know, it, it, the image is critical. And uh, there's some great, like, I know there's a company called Ad Espresso. And you can Google this. It's Facebook ad examples. And they actually have some of the top performing campaigns from every different industry. And you can go in and see real estate ads or small business or restaurant or salons or, or yoga studios. And yeah, a common thread in every ad that does well is the image. You know, the, the image is at the heart of that ad. We've also found that multiple images does well. So the carousel style ads where you can put more than one image, the photo album, you know, you go to the Bahamas, you come back, you upload an album to your profile. Well, if you do that with a page and you upload an album, you can boost the album. So now you've got all these beautiful photos in the ad, but then in the copy of the ad, you can link out to a capture page. So image is everything. And then if I had, had to give people one other like really pro tip, it would be copywriting. You have to obsess about the words that you write. Every word matters. Punctuation, grammar, capitalization. And, and the reason I say that is not everybody will read every word, but the people who will become customers will read every word. And also, when you're running ads that are pay-per-click, you don't always want clicks. So as an example, we ran ads for about a year that said, would you like to know your home's value? Click here to get a free report. And those ads would get a lot of leads, but you would get a lot of tire kickers who just wanted to know their home's value. So you take the same ad, the same landing page, the same concept, and instead of saying, want to know what your home's worth, you start the ad off with a different sentence that says, are you selling your home soon? Question, would you like to know what it's worth before you do? That little sentence was a game changer for all of those ads that we ran because it got our clients less leads that were closer to doing a real deal. 
and it wasted their time less. So I think a lot of times we want to write an ad that only attracts, and we we believe in writing ads that repel, right? Like we only work with top producing agents. We're exclusive by market. We do custom work that is not inexpensive. Like that would be in the ad potentially. And then that Classic would- Classic negative qualifiers. Exactly. Negative qualifiers do well. And one thing that jumped out as well was the fact that every- example that you gave included a question. Do questions in general always convert better than statements? Well, I would say that the not necessarily, but overall I'd say yes. The 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 mecca is question statement link, not statement question link. And it's such a small difference. But mm. when you start with like, oh my God, check this out. Have you ever seen anything like this? Click here to learn more. It doesn't do nearly as well as have you ever seen anything like this? This thing's crazy. Click here to learn more. So yeah, question statement link is going to do better most of the time than statement question link. But it isn't always just all questions. Uh, I don't think that you have to end every ad with a question mark. But if you look at your profile and you look at the just social media ecosystem, when you ask short, engaging questions, your statuses do better. So that does translate over into ads. Like here's an example that we did where uh, one of our clients had a listing, had a home that they were going to put on the market. And they basically did like A or B. They said, hey, we're going to put this home on the market and we're going to list it for either 350 or 420. If you think it's 420, leave a comment below with A. If you think it's right, leave B. Mm -hmm. And like by removing all the friction and people just doing A, B, A, B, the comments come flooding in, the organic reach goes high, and then the link in the body gets me new leads. Zillow, they call it Taste Test Tuesday. They, have a, they do an A-B picture. Property A and property B cost the same. If you had that budget, would you go for A or B? And you can look at it. Thousands of people, B, A, B, A, B, A. And uh, so it's just, yeah, I think questions and uh, quizzes. You know, I did a thing recently by email. Uh, picked up a good tip from Digital Marketer. Uh, those guys are pretty sharp guys. They have a good blog, Digital Marketer. Uh, Ryan, Ryan uh, Nice is the guy's name. Ryan Dice? or Yeah, Ryan Dice. Yeah, so Ryan's a sharp guy, and, and he put out a, a podcast about what they called a faux quiz, where, again, like instead of just sending statements or questions, you make it kind of interactive. And it was the same concept, like, hey, uh, g guess which of the following four things actually in can increase your click-through rate the most? Is it A, B, C, D, right? And to reveal the answer, you got to click the link in the email. And mm. then the link, in, they all go to the same place, which is the reveal. So I do think that now that the world is a social media conversation, quizification kind of a world, that should be a part of your marketing. Absolutely. And I love that growth hacking mentality, the integration of increasing organic reach with paid media, because paid media does have the power to impact organic reach, perhaps even improve your SEO if you're driving the right quality of traffic at your site or at your landing page, wherever it happens to be. So wonderful tips there. Um, one other thing actually in relation to the ad and actually posting the ad, how do you go about selecting the audience to view the ad? Yeah, that's a critical thing. And, and I, the way I talk about it in my book, is that you really, no matter what you sell, again, you kind of need three audiences on Facebook. 
and you just go to ads manager, you click create audience, you click it's what's called a custom audience. That's where I start. A custom audience is your database of leads becoming an ad unit. So instead of always going after new leads, take all the old leads you've gotten in the last couple of years, upload them into Facebook, and now you can actually advertise to your database. And that's going to be very inexpensive because you're not going to have 100,000 or a million people in your database. So one of the ones I, I, I can't recommend enough would be uh, a custom audience of your current customers and past customers. And the, the way ads are priced is the more people you want to reach, the more it costs. So these, some of these smaller lists that you'll give Facebook are cheaper to reach a lot of times. But then there's another one called uh, website audience. This one is something that it, it, we've all kind of experienced it where you go to Amazon or you go to Zappos and you're looking at a product and the next time you log into Facebook, that specific product is in your newsfeed as an ad. Okay. Yeah. That's that is also a custom audience where you install a tracking pixel, and then anyone that visits your site now becomes an ad unit as well. So you take your database of your clients and your past clients, you take your website traffic, those are gonna be small, close to buying audiences, right? Then you go with what I call your magic million, which would be anybody with a pulse that might buy from you or refer to you. And that would be as an example, um, you know, like when, when we decide that, you know, we don't just want to sell software anymore to real estate agents. We want to sell software to any small business. Well, then we would do an audience of people who like HubSpot, people who like Infusionsoft, people who like Marketo, right? So now those are not my inner circle, but those are the, the people I want to use my software instead. And so that's what we kind of call the magic million. And that would just be called a saved audience. So you do two custom audiences, one for your database, one for your website traffic, and then you do one saved audience, which is gonna be uh, kind of your, your larger audience. That's where you're gonna try to get the leads from. That's where you're gonna try to get the traffic to your website from. So think of it as a funnel, of course, right? You've got the magic million, that you're clicking on articles, clicking on podcasts, clicking on white papers, clicking on, on links. Every time they click, when they visit the site, they get pixeled, right? Or mm. if they visit the site and register, they go into the other audience. So you're just trying to move these people down the funnel and, and having those audiences in place is a critical part of that. Of course, another discussion is what should you show the different pieces of the funnel? Like you probably wouldn't say, call our sales team today to learn more about Curator if you're targeting the magic million that doesn't know you. But if somebody's in your database and they already registered to learn about Curator, then all of a sudden that ad might be really effective. So you know, it's about getting the audiences on the left side and then getting the right content for those audiences lined up too. I love the phrase that you added, and people that could refer to you rather than actually focusing on driving direct business. You're perhaps actually advertising towards people that can refer you business from their traffic sources. So if you were actually to target a campaign on that kind of audience, on people who could refer business to you, is it important to actually structure the ad in a different way? I think so. I, I think that when you see an ad on television or, or when you see an ad, you know, or you hear an ad on the radio, you know, they're limited in their specificity. Because like when you do an ad on the Super Bowl, you know that like it's not just all business people watching. 
So if your ad's too businessy, it won't relate. But if you do an ad on CNBC or CNN, you could probably do an ad for more businessy, right? Because those are business viewers. The beauty of Facebook is that when you cook up this magic million, you're putting together demographics. They like yoga. They're under 40. They have kids. You know what I mean? They have this. They make this much money. They have a college degree. Be- because you're able, as you build the audience, to infuse all of these interests, your ads should almost write themselves, David. Right? Yeah. Like, are you a mom between 30 and 40 who loves freaking yoga and lives in Avalon <laughs> Park? Well, then come on down to the mom and daughter Avalon Park Day at the yoga studio. Like, how how does that not work? Right? So if you identify the magic million and you know that in that audience you have X interests, those things can come out in the image. They can come out in the copy and, and those things, of course. And you know, as a digital marketer, talking about the the, the listener here that um if you're writing an ad like that, well, you're obviously targeting that kind of person. But the average person reading that isn't actually going to put that together, the fact that you've done that close targeting. They just think, you know, that advert is very relevant for me. I'm going to find out more about that. I'm going to yeah. That. Can I tell you a quick story about that? Sure. I, I was at a conference in, in real estate. The average age of a real estate agent is about 58. But that means that there's, you know, 78 and 88-year-olds just as often as there's 28 and 38-year-olds, right? Meaning the average age is 58. So for every 28-year-old realtor, there's an 88-year-old one, you know, basically, plus or minus. And so this lady came up to me. She was 85 years old, and this was like right when Facebook ads first came out. And she's like, I thought some of the stuff you talked about was great today, but I'm just not sure about that Facebook stuff. I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, every ad in my feed is for wrinkle cream. And I don't appreciate (laughs) that. And I'm like, I'm just saying like, that's sort of a really relevant ad. You know, like if you sit home all day and watch soap operas or watch daytime talk, the ads are for moms and and for older people Mm. because that's who's home during the day to watch. So it isn't that different that like, you see an ad for Depends, you know, during soap operas, it wouldn't be that weird that you saw an ad for Depends in your newsfeed. It's just that Facebook has the most data of all time. They have more data than Nielsen or than your paper, way more data than uh, even Netflix or ABC or NBC. You know, Facebook has the best data of all time because we gave it to them. <laughs> Hyper-targeting is the future and you can't do anything about it. You have to embrace it. Yeah, when, I, when it I ran my first ever ad on Facebook, I knew that we, were, uh, we wanted to grow a page of real estate agents from three certain companies. And we were we wanted to uh, target Keller Williams, Remax, and Coldwell Banker. We knew those were large brands uh, that would w- would be a relevant like. We were just trying to get likes back in the early days, you know, like my yeah. page, right? And when we wrote the ad, we basically said, "Does Keller Williams, Remax, or Coldwell Banker have more members in our community? Click here to find out now." And so, just put yourself in the seat of the lady that works at Coldwell Banker this sees an ad that says Coldwell Banker in it. You know what I mean? And so you don't have to always be that specific, 
Like, you know, did you graduate from UCF? Do you live in California? Would you like a UCF California alumni shirt? Like, you know what I mean? You see some of the t-shirt companies where it's like truck drivers from Australia who live in Florida rock. And like, they sell like a thousand of them. Cause they're like, like, how do you not buy that? If you're Australian, you drive a truck, you live in Florida. So some of those t-shirt companies uh, are sort of the, the extreme version of like target first, create the ad based on the targeting. So do you bring that messaging right into the landing page and do you have to actually create a ideally a personalized targeted landing page to whoever you're talking to as well to optimize your landing page conversion rates? Yeah, we believe in that. I interviewed the CEO of Unbounce, uh, Oli Gardner, and Unbounce okay. is obviously one of the top landing page companies. And he, 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 the way he explained it was just easy to remember. It's called coupling, right? If you have an image and a headline and a call to action in an ad, you need to carry that through the best you can to the landing page. And so if your ad says selling your home soon, want to know the value, the the landing page better say exactly that or almost exactly that. Or back to your question earlier, you know, let's say we went with the faces instead of the house for the image. Well, if there's faces in the ad, then there should be faces on the landing page, right? If there's a house in the ad should be a house on the landing page. So just think of it as coupling. You're basically repeating the headline, repeating the call to action, and carrying through the imagery from the ad into the landing page. And the more closely those match, the less bounces you'll get of people leaving. Got you. So it's the congruency between your ad, between the landing page, and having that consistent brand message. People will... I guess have more confidence in what you do, feel more comfortable in what you do and be more likely to convert. Well, yeah, and, and here's an example. So our, our clients will use their listings and they'll put an album of photos of the listing and the hook will be, if you'd like the address and the price, click here. So they're basically giving people a lot of info, but they know that you need the price, right? And you need the address if you're serious. And so when they get the click and the landing page pops, the landing page just says, get instant access to the price and pictures of this property. We're basically just being very clear uh, with with the, the same call to action. So yeah, it's actually not overly complex. Here's what we teach in my company. We teach a model called CAB, which is create a piece of content, advertise that piece of content, and then blast that piece of content out, right? And then we put a little S at the end, cabs, which is now sell to the people that all that stuff engaged. And so the heavy lifting in digital marketing, David, as you know, is the content. Because if you write a great article, you do a great interview, you publish a great blog post, the ad and the email will take care of itself. If you have a great headline for a blog, you have a great headline for an ad. You have a great subject line. If you spent the time choosing an awesome image for your post, that can be the image in the ad. So what we try to teach people is spend the time and thoughtfulness on the content and the ad and the email will write itself versus thinking of these things as all different things. And then the the caveat is if you're going to create content and advertise it and capture leads and and email out new content to those leads, you have to sell eventually and pick up the damn phone. And so who opened the email? Who clicked the email? Who returned visited to the website? When they returned visited, who spent the most time there? And then taking all that data and giving yourself 
a list of people to call. Well, coming up, we're going to be learning about the one piece of software that Chris couldn't live without. But first of all, I'd like to mention a cracking webinar that I'm going to be hosting soon. So it's called the 26-Week Digital Marketing Plan Bootcamp. And I'm going to be joined by Mark Asquith, Lucas Zelezny, and Johnny Ross. They've all been previous guests on uh, Digital Marketing Radio. And you can find out more about that at 26weekplan.com slash bootcamp. So 26weekplan.com slash bootcamp. But um, let's segue into the second section of our discussions that focuses more on Chris's thoughts on where digital marketing has been and where it's heading. So starting off with... Software I couldn't live without. So Chris, what software do you currently use in your business that if someone took away from you, it would significantly impact your marketing success? Sure. Great question. I, I, I would say the number one thing that would probably hurt us would be if Facebook went away or Facebook ads went away. You know, you can't do anything if you don't have eyeballs and attention. But once you sort of get into more what I would kind of call the pro tools, um, we, we couldn't live without our CRM. I mean, we we work with, we actually, the CRM we use is also the one we sell. So we white labeled a product and integrated it into our, fr so we build front end consumer facing stuff. And then we, we integrated that into back end CRM, email marketing, SMS stuff. And so when you are a professional marketer, you can't live without some marketing automation. When a new lead comes in with a phone number, they should get a text message from you immediately without you stopping to do anything. When a new lead comes in with an email, they should get an email right away that engages them and, and five more over the next five days, right? Or, or not giving the exact blueprint. But when, when a lead, we work so hard to come up with ideas, we spend money launching the campaigns, we get the lead in. And the problem is that the fortune is actually in the follow-up. And a lot of marketers, I'm a sales guy who ended up learning how to do marketing in, in, a, in, a, in a mobile first, social first world. But I spent the first five years of my career dialing for dollars, converting internet leads for another company. And then I spent the last five years learning and mastering lead generation for myself, my clients, and other companies. And so when uh, there, there's this thing where you, you sort of don't know what you don't know, and what people think they need is more leads, and they think that they don't know how to close. You know what I mean? Like if I just had more leads and if, if I could just get them on the phone and, and, and you know, I, I'll, I'll close anyone. That's what people will tell you. So the, the thing that we couldn't live without is like completing the loop that if we're going to work so hard as marketers to generate leads, we want our technology to also work that hard to help us turn those leads into appointments and into clients. So we actually use a system called Follow Up Boss. It is a little bit real estate centric. One of the challenges for us, our clients have so many lead sources, it's crazy. So where a lot of businesses, they may do all their own lead gen, where they just only rely on their own website. But in real estate, you might have Zillow leads, Trulia leads, Realtor.com leads, Homes.com leads, Craigslist leads, website leads, landing page leads. So follow-up boss is compatible with every lead from every source. And then the automation kicks in and it sends the emails. And then if somebody opens or clicks an email, they go to the top of the list of who to call. Now, that's not that different than what HubSpot's trying to do and what Infusionsoft is trying to do and what Salesforce has tried to do for a long time. But I just think there's like a new modern company that's more like 
for the salesperson versus for the company. A lot of the tools are built for the CMO and for the professional marketer. They're not built for the small business marketer. They're not built for the small business solopreneur who just wants to go in and dial for dollars every now and then. It's more about reporting and all this stuff that keeps the C-suite happy but actually causes friction for the guy like me that just wants to get on the phone and sell. So we, we uh, love our CRM uh, follow-up boss. We definitely couldn't live without it. On a side note, we couldn't live without Slack. Um, we have, uh, as sales and marketing people, sometimes those divisions are very different. Sometimes they're very much the same. Sometimes you're working with one person who's just helping you with an image for your ad. And you might have a different copywriter that we work with that's working on the creative for the ad. And so to be able to message one-to-one in real time, to be able to group message in real time. And then when we get leads, if we've got a lead and we need to check if their market's available, uh, if we want to check on if we can run a promo or, or offer a discount, whatever it may be, Slack allows us to completely stop emailing each other. So if your email address ends with curator.com and you work for me, we're communicating through Slack. And Slack has been a game changer for our efficiency, for our culture, for our communication, for our customer service. I I can't say enough good things about Slack and people just going all in as soon as they can. Well, I didn't want to stop you offering, uh, you know, a few different um, great uh, software tips there, but um, I'm going to ask one more, and that is um, a slightly more challenging question. So what piece of software have you heard good things about, but um, you haven't actually used and you intend to try at some point in the near future? Yeah, well, I'll be honest, some of the, some of the t- uh, two come to mind right away, which is kick, uh, Sidekick and Yesware. Sidekick right. is a little plugin from, from HubSpot. Uh, and then Yesware is a comparable thing where you basically get real-time push alerts in Chrome when someone opens or clicks an email or when they visit your site. And I love that concept, right? And I'm not in the trenches every day selling now because I'm running the company. But like, imagine if you're a salesperson and you send out a contract through DocuSign to get signed. Wouldn't you like to know the second that it was opened, the second that they click through to go sign it? You know, wouldn't it be nice to kind of keep a, maybe call them and walk them through it? So I love yeah. this idea of where that stuff's heading. Real-time notifications about actions the leads are taking. The reason I haven't jumped all in, all in, David, is it's overwhelming. You know what I mean? I start getting thousands of alerts all day, every day. Joe Schmo visited my site. This lady opened it. Like, so we believe in real-time alerts and user tracking, But what we're trying to build at Curator is sort of a layer on top of that. So if you go on Twitter, your stream is empty unless you hit follow. You know, you actually physically follow a person and then you see all their stuff. So that's what we're trying to build at Curator right now is like a magic button or a follow button where you get you you want the alerts. You want all that real time insight, but you don't want it for. 1500 people. You might just want it for the 15 that are going to buy next. So this idea of uh, following a lead, making following up with a lead as easy as following someone on Twitter. That would be kind of what we're building and what I'd love to have and haven't tried yet. 
Well, it certainly sounds that you've implemented a lot of it already, but um, there are so many great tools out there. But you've uh, suggested some great ones there, so I'll hunt them down and I'll include them in the, the show notes at digitalmarketingradio.com. But let's move on to... I wish I would have. So I'd like you to look back in the very first day that you're involved in trying to market a business online. What didn't you do so well? What do you wish that you would have done differently? Yeah, that's a great question. My biggest mistake in marketing was not growing my email list soon enough. Mm -hmm. So I was sort of born into the Facebook era of marketing. And I actually ran a ridiculously popular Facebook page, uh, you know, in like 08, 09, 2010, where I had 20,000 fans getting hundreds of comments and likes on every post. And it, it, it took me a good 18 months before I felt like, I want to get these people's emails, you know, mm. like I would never link to a form. I would never say, join my list. I was so afraid. And I remember I finally broke through and I was like, you know what? I want to start collecting emails and I feel so bad nowadays. I don't, by the way, but this is sort of when you start, <laughs> like I have to give people something. So I bought 20 copies of Gary Vaynerchuk's book, Crush It. And my first ever sort of email list building was, hey, I just spent $400 on books and I'm going to give a, I'm going to give 20 away. All you have to do to enter to win is click here. I used a Google form from Google Docs. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? It just put it in a Google spreadsheet. Well, listen, I, I, I Facebooked it. I, I, you know, boosted it, had 395 emails about an hour and a half later. And so it was like, okay. They they don't they don't not want to give me their email. I've just never asked for it. And so, you know, because my first ever lead gen campaign, uh, if you will, was something valuable, like, you know, it's like literally you get this maybe, right? You're going to mm. win a book. Uh, I think I've just always taken that value first approach of, you know, there's got to be a bait on the hook worth biting or the fish are going to swim right past it. So what's the most effective, valuable thing that you can give away now to encourage someone to opt into your email list? Well, I think that for, for a lot of marketers, it, it can just be the if you're consistent with the quality of your content, like I see um, you have a free report download up on the side there. Uh, we, fe mm. like we had one that got us uh, tons of leads. It was the seven, fa uh, the seven best Facebook pages in real estate. You know, we did another one, which was, uh, you know, how uh, how a real estate agent got over 300 reviews on Zillow. So what we'll do is we'll write what in a lot of people's minds would be a blog post, but a really, really good detailed one. Mm. And then we'll just make you register to read it. So I'm actually not a huge fan of join my list. Like, hey, we put out great shit all the time. Sign up for my newsletter, right? Or like, hey, don't miss another email, sign up for my newsletter. I, I'm a bigger fan in direct response. Like if you give me your email right now, you will unlock this awesome article. So when I go to grow my list, I don't ever, very rarely I've done it and I tested it and just wasn't exciting. The numbers weren't. I never have just said, join our newsletter, join our newsletter. It's always been click here, enter your email so you can read this or so you can watch this. So I think the, it's not necessarily exactly what it is. I can tell you that videos are a very powerful lead magnet. 
you know, we basically on our curator website, we make almost everything sort of navigatable and scrollable without registering. But if you want an eight minute demo video where I walk through the whole platform, we felt like that was kind of that moment where we can get the rest of their info. But that's because we gave them a ton and then we made that big, want to see a full demo. So I, I would say perception is everything and there's more perceived value in, in, a, in a PDF, in an ebook, in a video. So I would say uh, if you don't want to create more content, go to the content that you've already created that was the most popular and put a form in front of that. Let's move on to the this or that round. So this is the quick response round. Okay. Ten quick questions. Just two rules here. Try not to think about the answer too much. Okay. And you're only allowed to say the word both on one occasion. Okay. Ready to go? Sure. <laughs> Email or Twitter? Email. Audio or video? Video. Affiliates or display advertising? Affiliates. The easiest question. Facebook or Google Plus? Facebook. Online press releases or one-on-one -on -one relations? One-on-one -on -one relations. Paid search or SEO? Paid search. Email contact form or telephone number? Both. <laughs> There's my both. <laughs> website or app? Uh, I'm going to say website. Social subscriber or email subscriber? Email subscriber. And local marketing or global marketing? Oh, man. I personally enjoy the hyper-local challenges more. I, you know, when you market globally, you have scale. When you market locally, you know, that's a challenge. You only got so many people. So I feel like some of the national marketers benefit from scale that the local guys don't get. I think that was a local, and it was probably one of the longest answers yeah, yet. Yeah, local, uh, yes. We'll go with that, yeah. And I really have to get rid of Google Plus, I think. Yes. Yeah, Although you we're may using need to say Facebook or Snapchat. That would have been a harder one to answer. Um, or Snapchat, okay. Yeah. So you're using Snapchat quite effectively at the moment. Well, I don't know how effective I'm being, but I definitely know that it's <laughs> it's a platform that's not going away. Uh, it, it's sort of, it's kind of a, it's almost a mashup between Facebook and Twitter, right? Twitter, you can tweet 50 times a day and no one gives a shit. You can't go on Facebook and update your status 50 times a day. But then mm. on uh, Twitter, what people tweeted so much was links and more, you know, interesting news. Whereas on Facebook, you share more personal stuff, right? So Snapchat's like a baby almost of those two where you're sharing mostly personal behind the scenes, kind of here's what I'm doing right now, but you're doing it with, with the rapidity that you can do Twitter. So like we opened our office today and I uploaded, you know, 30 or 35 different things into my Snapchat story. And then like for Facebook, I just took all of those and just uploaded it all as one video. You know, because if I would have uploaded 35 different posts on Facebook today, I would have got unfriended. So it's sort of the, <laughs> the realness and the genuineness of what you see on Facebook, but it's that lightning fast and that high volume of content that you see on Twitter. See, I've registered the user ID digital marketing radio and Snapchat. Because there you go. 
I wanted to just in case, but I haven't started using that. So is that a mistake that I haven't started doing things on that yet? I, I would say it's it's not a mistake now, but it's a mistake if the answer is yes at the end of this year. I, I think the problem is there's a land grab, right? And like when people mm. go to Snapchat and they sign up for the first time, it's going to find their friends in your address book. It's going to fr- find the connections for you. And if you're not there when they first go, they're not going to go back and do that again. So I do think that like sites like Instagram and even Google Plus, right? There is always an early mover advantage. The thing, the thing Snapchat reminds me about Twitter is that, cause I, again, I work with realtors. They're almost 60. They all logged into Twitter. They bought into the hype and then they got confused as hell and they all logged right back out. They didn't know what an at was, a DM, a hashtag, and it overwhelmed them, just the controls. And Snapchat, let me tell you, you know, the first few times you log in and it's like your camera's up and you're like, what do I do? I think we'll have that same moment where everybody will flood there Half the people will leave because it confuses them, and then they'll all get dragged back. You know, once it, it you know, most of their networks there. So yeah, I think it would be a a, a big mistake if you're a marketer, and, and especially if you're marketing to younger folks, uh, to not be learning. I mean, listen, people think I'm a guru. I have books. I, I I love this stuff. But like when I saw Snapchat started blowing up, like I just went to YouTube, like how to use Snapchat. And I watched like four videos. And by the end of those four videos, I knew how all the buttons worked. And then they came up with a new feature called Memories two days ago. So I went on YouTube. Like, you can learn, you know? And even the best learn, but they learn by doing. They don't have analysis paralysis. They're executing. They're not just, you know, worrying of what the end game's going to be, you know? So anyway... Uh, I, the way I end my book is innovation is rewarded, execution is worshipped. And so I don't care if it's Snapchat, Instagram, YouTube, iTunes, Facebook, those who execute win. Well, in a couple of minutes, I'm going to ask you for a number one takeaway, and you're going to have to find a different one yeah, now because you just uh, shared that one there. But uh, first of all, the $10,000 question. If I was to give you $10,000 and you had to spend it over the next few days on a single thing to grow your business, what would you spend it on and how would you measure success? <laughs> That's an interesting question. It's funny because I'm in the middle of our office. We're doing renovations. So I'm spending like more than 10000 And, you know, we're, uh, we have a budget of about 25000 to do the office. And I'm trying to break that down into highest value, return, this and that. Um, I- I'll tell you that right now, uh, because I do so much video, um, I am going to be investing in a more professional, I-, I-, I mentioned earlier, you know, going from a better webcam to a Canon, you know, 70D with a professional lens, with professional audio, Mm. with some professional lighting, with a a professional set, you know, having a monitor off to the right of me with a nice table, with, you know, uh, the ability to kind of go like John Oliver style and go on rants and bring stuff up on the screen. So uh, if you look at the cost of the TV, the cost of the camera, the cost of the audio equipment, the cost of the freaking table, you know, it's about it, it's more than 10G. So right now for us, uh, those are things. And let me just make a disclaimer: we're three and a half years old. We're insanely profitable. We're almost at 10 million in annual sales. We have 500 customers that are recurring, you know, ARR kind of revenue. And so this is the time to invest. If we raise capital from a venture capitalist, we would have spent the money on what we're doing. Instead, we just worked our ass off for three years and we raised our own money by selling a good product and servicing it well. So now I feel comfortable dropping the money on those things. But that's what most people start with. 
So how do you measure the impact of that, though? Is it simply to make yourself more efficient and actually be able to deliver even more to your customers? Yeah, I would say that as someone who owns a company and has to work a little bit with the product development team, a little bit with customer service, a little bit with this and that, my job at the company is sales and marketing. And so what I know to be true is that when you're in sales, having that energy around you We've been a remote company for three and a half years. Our sales guys work at home. One was in Cleveland. One was in San Francisco. One was in uh, New Hampshire. And so I know customer support, product development, you, know, you can kind of work at home in that quiet environment and get more done. But when you're in sales, when you need motivation, when you need strategies, when you need a positive mental attitude every single day, it helps to have that energy of an office. It helps to have your boss <laughs> clapping in your ear. It helps to have the guy ringing the bell. It helps to go play ping pong after a tough call. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. we, we are investing in the items I mentioned and in the brick and mortar the number one reason is we know it will generate more sales. That's it. My number one takeaway. Well, Chris, you really have offered a lot of amazing advice in this conversation, but can you possibly distill it down to one takeaway? What would you say is the number one takeaway for our listeners to go away and actually take and try and implement in their own businesses? Yeah, I think based on our conversation and all the things we discussed, if, if I were to give one big takeaway it's that you can go all in with Facebook. You can use a page and groups and your profile and ads and videos and live and messenger, and you don't have to be a jack of all trades. If you never used Snapchat, Instagram, Google+, uh, you know any of these other social networks, if for the next two to three years you went all in with Facebook, your business will be just fine. And I believe Facebook is the internet. It's the best CRM of all time. It's the best ad targeting all time. And right now, my friends, it's the lowest cost it'll ever be. That's great advice to actually really focus and do one thing exceptionally well. Because five, 10 years ago, it was a case where you could be everywhere. But there's just so much happening now, you can't possibly master it all. And if you want to master one thing, then... As you say, Facebook's probably the thing to master. Well, look at the people you interview, David. You interview an email marketing expert, an SEO expert. Like I, I, I'm a Facebook ad and inside yeah. sales expert. Like I'm not an expert at everything. And so I think that sometimes as marketers, especially as small business owners, we feel like we got to be everywhere, right? You hear about the new thing, Pokemon Go, like we joked earlier. You know, how can <laughs> I get in front of the Pokemon players, right? No, it's okay. Take a step back. Facebook, you're probably not doing it right yet. You probably could be doing it 20 times better. What happens if you did cut the fat? You know, what you focus on is what you find. And so if you're focusing on 1,500 usernames and passwords and logins, you're going to find complexity. I reckon that takes us to the end of our discussion, though. So thank you so much for your time and your advice. What's the best way for our listener to find out more about you and what you do, Chris? Sure. Uh, Chris at curator.com is my email, C-U-R-A-Y-T-O-R. -R. Uh, if you just search, if you search my email on Google or Facebook, you'll find everything else, LinkedIn, Twitter. I'm very active, actually, of course, on Facebook, but also on Twitter and Snapchat. So anybody that wants to connect there. Or if you want to subscribe by email, uh, we, you can go to curator.com and join our email newsletter there as well. 
Wonderful. Okay. And I'll also, of course, link to the curator website in the show notes at digitalmarketingradio.com. So um, thanks so much to Chris and thank you, dear listener, too. If you enjoyed what Chris shared to do, tell us what you think. An iTunes review is always good and I might even read it out in a future episode. And if Twitter's your thing, at David Bain is my handle on there. Maybe it's your thoughts on this episode. Maybe it's your thoughts on what we should discuss on future episodes. Whatever it is, it would be fantastic to hear from you. But until we meet again, be fantabulous and do one thing that scares you. Adios. Thanks again, Chris. Great episode.